Welcome to this reading of the business record for the week of December 8th, 2023. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Now, here's our first story from the business record. The Greater Des Moines Partnership, next public policy issue form on December 14th, will focus on the Iowa caucuses. The hybrid forum, which will take place at the partnership office and will be available to watch on Zoom from noon to 1 p.m., will feature a panel discussion about the updated Iowa caucuses and the influence they have in the presidential nomination process. Panelists will discuss the caucuses and their role in the major parties' presidential nomination procedures. Confirmed panelists include Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd, Scott Brennan of the Iowa Democratic Party, and Trina Flack, who is the Vice President of Sales for Catch Des Moines. Registration for the free event is available uh, through the Des Moines Partnerships website, and registrants who attend through Zoom will receive information via email. Mayberry Mays is named the new Executive Director of Grandview's Jacobson Institute. Grandview University has hired Skylar Mayberry Mays as Executive Director of the Jacobson Institute, Mayberry Mays most recently served as senior strategist of the Principal Foundation and Community Relations at Principal Financial Group. He is also a lecturer in the Professional Readiness Program at the University of Northern Iowa's David W. Wilson College of Business. Before working at Principal, Mayberry Mays supported customer strategy and engagement nationwide insurance and was a senior credit analyst at Bankers Trust. He has a bachelor's degree in finance from the University of Northern Iowa, an MBA from Iowa State University, and a doctor of philosophy degree from Drake University. Rochelle Keck, Grandview president, said in a press release, we're thrilled to have Schuyler join the Jacobson Institute. His wealth of experience, his professional connections, and his passion for the intersection of business and education are the perfect fit for the uh, Jacobson Institute and our university vision for the future. Established in 2008 with a gift from the late Dick Jacobson, the Jacobson Institute aims to make Grandview a resource to the central Iowa region by innovating through education and providing workforce skills assessment and training. Bradshaw Dickinson Law Firms to Merge. This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. Two legacy law firms will merge on January 1st, a move that partners of each firm say will not only increase services to clients, but also help attract new talent to the combined organization. The merger of Bradshaw, Fowler, Proctor, and Fairgrave and Dickinson, Mackman, Tyler, and Hagen will bring together about 60 lawyers in 90 practice areas to create one of the biggest law firms in Iowa. Bradshaw was founded 106 years ago. Dickinson was formed 86 years ago. Sean O'Brien, a partner with Bradshaw, said, These firms complement each other quite well. Talks about a possible merger began about a year ago. The merger was approved by shareholders or partners from each firm on November 20th. Molly Pulaski, a partner with Dickinson, said the merger made sense as the legal market continues to evolve. There are certain aspects of how the Des Moines legal market is developing, she said. You have a lot of baby boomers that are transitioning. You have a lot of 30-plus-somethings. You don't really have that many that are typically, what typically is the bread and butter of the marketplace. That always makes me interested in opportunities, candidly partnering up with other firms where there are people of my whole cohort of my generation. 
Pulaski is 53, O'Brien is 54. Their paths crossed when they attended Grinnell College. Both were members of the class of 1992. Most firms in Iowa are a bit of an hourglass, Pulaski said. You have the generation that is transitioning out and maybe the younger generation, but that was one of the things at Bradshaw. The structure was similar in that regard, but there were people of my generation I've worked with or have had contact with, so it kind of crossed a lot of different nexuses in that regard. The merger will provide an opportunity to increase legal services for clients of both firms, the attorneys said. One example is the Dickinson firm, while having what Pulaski described as a very robust employment section, does not have anyone who handles workers' compensation cases. She said, we've always had to refer that out, and now we're not going to need to do that. Now we will have people who can handle those types of claims. So I think there were very few conflicts, and there were a lot of synergies where we could work together. O'Brien said he serves as outside general counsel to an insurance company in Des Moines, and the merger will provide someone with employment expertise in-house. He said, from time to time, there's employment law questions that come up, and I don't have an employment law specialist right now, so either I have to figure that out myself or farm it out. Now I can just walk down the hall, and that's a great asset to have. O'Brien said he expects the merger to be seamless. It's going to be a plug-and-play opportunity for everyone, he said. The name of the merged law firm will be Dickinson, Bradshaw, Fowler, and Hagen, PC. It will be located in the current space occupied by the Bradshaw firm on the 36th and 37th floors, about 33,000 square feet at 833,000 square feet at 801 Grand Avenue. Dickinson is located at 699 Walnut Street, where it occupies the 16th floor, and part of the 15th floor of the Hub Tower. It will vacate that space when it moves. Pulaski and O'Brien said the plan is to bring along all employees, attorneys, and support staff from Dickinson as part of the merger. Pulaski said, we don't have any current expectations to change that. Frankly, none of us have done this before. We need all hands on deck for the transition. The attorney said they also see the merger as a tool for talent attraction in the future. O'Brien said, I think we're more attractive together than apart in large part because of that history, but also because of that shared common culture. He said Bradshaw had reached a point where it needed to grow and it made sense to partner with another Iowa-based firm. He said, so how do you do that most efficiently? Do you rebuild and try to grow it on your own over a longer time or do you reload? It made sense that the reload option is an immediate solution. What that means now is that we're growing from a larger base with larger offerings, a larger diversity of offerings that might be more attractive to a younger lawyer, and that helps you continue to perpetuate that growth. Pulaski said, I think it checks a lot of boxes. There are students that are going to come out of law school. They're going to look at the headcount, and I think we'll check that box. There are students that are going to look for that heritage. What that signifies, how you come together, the role these firms have played in the community, the caliber of individual attorneys. According to Pulaski, the merger makes sense because of the shared culture and relationships between the two firms. These are people that I would work as a co-counsel on a case with, and we all know each other in the community, and there's a range of reasonableness, and time and time again, when I was with the Bradshaw people, we made the same decision, she said. And it would just sort of happen organically. Those are the kind of people 
you want to be partners in business with. Development of an Innovation Learning Center at Roosevelt High School will begin the month after $1.1 million was raised by a foundation that supports the Des Moines School. The Theodore Roosevelt High School Foundation conducted a multi-year capital campaign to pay for the center that will replace the school's existing nearly 60-year-old library. Demolition library space will begin this month with work on the center continuing through spring. Construction new center is expected to be completed by the start of the 2024-25 school year. The capital campaign include donations from Mid-American Energy Company, Prairie Metals Racetrack and Casino, and Polk County. Also, more than 400 individual donors contributed to the campaign. Steve Chappell, Roosevelt's principal, said in a prepared statement, The $1.1 million investment will transform our library and provide students access to a state-of-the-art facility to foster collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking skills. The investment builds upon the exciting improvements we are fostering at Roosevelt in academics and activities, the center will serve as a hub for the school, which is located at 4419 Center Street. The center will feature a mix of public, semi-private, and private workspaces. The project will transform and underutilize space into a welcoming center for students, faculty, parents, and alumni, according to the news release. And now we move to a uh, regular feature of the business record called A Closer Look, Meet a Leader You Should Know. And uh, this week we'll be looking at uh, Luke Hoffman, Executive Director of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. As an avid cyclist, when the position of Executive Director of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition opened up, it was a dream job for Luke Hoffman. He took over the helm of the group in October after serving as Executive Director of Iowa Rivers Revival, an environmental education advocacy group focused on cleaning and restoring the state's waterways. It's that role, as well as his previous experiences as talent manager with the Greater Omaha Chamber, Director of Corporate Relations with the United Way of the Midlands in Omaha, and as a member of the Polk County Water and Land Legacy Campaign that Hoffman said has helped prepare him for his new role. Hoffman also speaks about his close family relationships and his dad being a pastor, which instilled in him the community values he sees as being important in each role he's held. Community engagement. It's a deep value for me. Just being engaged in your community is so important. That's who I am as a person. That's who I am as a leader. That's who I aspire to be and who I want to surround myself with. And then secondly, just the skill set, the hard skills and the soft skills that I've developed. I think are a good fit because you have to be out there connecting with people and connecting to people uh, to things other than your own organization. Now, the business record posts some questions, and so read the question and then Luke's answer. What did you learn from your family, your parents and grandparents as influenced you as an adult? I think a good way to illustrate that is at some point in my career, I took the Gallup Strength Finders Finder. I really do believe in the philosophy of a Gallup Strengths Finder. I think it's very scientific and factual. So my strengths are strategic communicator, individualization, and arranger. The individualization and communication are things my family instilled in me at a very young age. Communication is everything. How we communicate with each other and how we treat each other is really important. I was the oldest of four siblings growing up, so it was always my role to make sure that I was a good older brother. 
I think about the way I was raised to treat my family and I extend that to how I want to treat other people in my daily life. I want to make sure that all cyclists feel that they have someone who has their back. How we treat people really matters and how we communicate with them in doing that also really matters. So that's something that informs my perspective. Next question they posed for Luke Hoffman. What needs to happen to further develop the trail system statewide? His answer, I've been thinking about this since day one. There is the Rebuild Iowa Infrastructure and Fund, oftentimes called RIF. A component of that is the trails budget. Trails budget statewide is $2.5 million. Over the past decade, it is increasing, but in the context of a $2 billion state budget surplus, it's not a lot of money. A connector trail, that can take over $1 million. I would love to see that grow. I think there's more that we can do there. If we invested more, we could do a project like the Katy Trail Experience in Missouri. It's about the stories we tell in our state, the experiences you can have when you're on the trail. The small businesses you visited along the way, the places you stayed, the people you met, all that you saw. We can have that here in Iowa. The way we can do that is we have the Great American Rail Trail, and 55% of it is done in Iowa, But of all the states in the United States, Iowa has 19 gaps, which is the most of any state in the country. If we increase RIF, again, that's the Rebuild Iowa Infrastructure Fund, maybe with a one-time increase to close to $5 million or $10 million and use that to complete the trails. Thinking about rural rural revitalization that can happen and how much economic development and placemaking we can provide if we increase the budget to complete it. Let's get it done. Let's finish the job. That would move the state forward two decades if we were to make that legacy lifetime investment. There's an opportunity here. It's about the quality of life. It's about rural revitalization. It's about talent attraction. It's about economic development. But mostly it's about people and places and what we can do with those things. Next question for Luke. What role does developing strong private-public partnerships play in achieving your goals with the coalition? It's in the name, right? The Iowa Bicycle Coalition. So how can we operate as a group to have collective impact? To have that impact, we have to be operating as a coalition, and we have to really live up to that name. That's really important to me. Going back to my background and experience in community engagement, if you really want to leave a mark and improve people's quality of life, you have to work together. You have to work with partners, and that's what I plan to do. Next question, how would you describe your management style? I want to be somebody who is not immune to inspiration on a daily basis. I want to find one reason every day to be inspired by the work we do and our mission. We are a small and mighty staff. We have three staff, including Hoffman, but it's statewide. From a leadership perspective, how I want to lead these staff and how I want to lead with partners and stakeholders I want to find one reason to be inspired every day. If you can do that, you can stay motivated. And the final question they ask of Luke Kaufman, the new director of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition, what book have you read recently? Earlier this year, I was reading The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. It comes with an accompanying twice-a-day journal with introspective prompts. The other book is How Data Happened by Chris Wiggins and Matthew L. Jones. It's a history from the age of reason to the age of algorithms. It's a great read so far. And again, that article uh, up close, written by Michael Crum, a senior staff writer at the Business Record.
All right, next we turn our attention to uh, another column here, business briefing, top thing, top five things to know. Uh, this is an article, it's a combined effort of business record uh, writers. Um, number one, Ag Certain continues ex ex its expansion with the new rail spur. Ag Certain, maker of food products, renewable chemicals, recently broke ground on a new rail spur to better serve its growing campus in Boone. The Ames-based Ag Certain is focused on products and services that meet the growing demand from consumers who want to know where their products come from. The rail spur is part of phase three of the company's expansion of its 120-acre campus in Boone, where it receives and sends glycerin and edible oils with support of the Boone and Scenic Valley Railroad. Daniel O., Ag Certain president and CEO, said the company built some rail in 2019 when it began operating in Boone, but now needs to expand that capacity. Number two, vacancy rate for uh, industrial space in Des Moines area is now at 5.2%. The vacancy rate for industrial space in the greater Des Moines area was 5.2% in 2023's third quarter, and that's up from the same period a year ago when it was 2.9%. The Industrial Insight report shows that over 3.48 million square feet of industrial space currently vacant is not alarming, said Austin Heatstrom, Senior Vice President at JLL's Des Moines office. A lot of vacancy is due to the fact that we had a number of net new deliveries over the past three quarters. Des Moines area has over 67 million square feet of manufacturing warehouse and distribution space, JLL's report shows. Number three, Airport completes runway intersection project, a project that Kevin Foley, executive director of the Des Moines International Airport, calls a critical improvement for this airport's operation, has been completed. The reconstruction of the intersection of the airport's two runways was finished on time and on budget in September, Foley said. The $200 million project has often flown under the figurative radar as most public attention has been given to efforts to build a new terminal. According to Foley, crews repairing the runway intersection hit pavement that is believed to be original pavement poured in the 1930s. That had been overlaid several times and extended and widened, but problems had developed over the years that required the intersection to be completely rebuilt. Number four, Mission Cancer plus Blood's care model focuses on independence as Ankeny Campus opens. Mission Cancer is growing its central Iowa footprint. About 7,000 patients visit one of Mission's clinics each month at its three busiest campus, all of them in Des Moines. A fair amount of those patients travel from Ankeny, but this will change soon. The Iowa-based oncology and hematology care provider with 19 other outreach locations opened its new Ankeny Clinic on north of Prairie Trail at 1950 Southwest Magazine Drive, the Ankeny Center is an expansion in Mission, Cent Mission Cancer's first standalone clinic. According to a news release, there are seven providers scheduled to staff the 11,000-square-foot facility. That will be open from 8 to 5 Monday through Thursday and 8 to 4 on Fridays. And finally, the fifth brief, will Arena for Buccaneers get built at Murrowhay Mall? A proposed project to redevelop former department store space at Merle Hay Mall into an arena is in jeopardy if the owners of the mall and the Des Moines Buccaneers don't reach an agreement on a lease by December 31st. Leaders of Urbandale, Des Moines, and Polk County 
recently told the mall and hockey organization that if an agreement isn't reached, a substantial award from the state of Iowa may be lost. We need to determine the path forward that leads to redevelopment and reinvestment in the Merle Hay campus, said Curtis Brown, Urbandale's assistant city manager. We need to know if the Bucks Arena is going to be a catalyst for that. If that is, that meets their goal to strengthen the mall and keep the Bucks playing in Urbandale. If not, then we need to work together with the mall to explore other plans. The Arcadia office building is undergoing a $6 million makeover. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. The Arcadia office building in West Des Moines will undergo a $6 million makeover that, when completed, will provide employees with some modern workspaces and amenities, the property owner said. The four-story building at 7,000 Vista Drive has been occupied by Wells Fargo Card Services since its construction in the early 1990s, Wells Fargo moved the division to its Jordan Creek campus, creating more than 280,000 square feet of vacant office space in West Des Moines. We have a big portfolio of office space and have been doing it for a long time, said Mark Ruprecht, president of R&R Realty Group, which owns the Arcadia property. We have a really good feel for what employees want, and today they want the ultimate experience. They want amenities, not on a small scale, but a large scale. Employers want amenities that will get employees back to the office where they can collaborate and have access to things that they wouldn't necessarily have at a remote work site. Among the most ambitious changes on the 34-acre site is the conversion of about four acres of parking into green space. The area located on the southern edge of the property will include walking paths, picnic areas, spaces for working outside, a pickleball court, and numerous plants and trees, Two existing ponds will bookend the green space. Outdoor classes such as yoga will be able to be held in the area. The building will have fewer people working in it, so there won't be the need for as much parking space, according to Jeremy Shepard, president of Development Services Corporation, a division of R&R Realty. We want to create an outdoor workspace, an outdoor environment for employees and customers. Space is also being created for food truck courts, something that has been added at other R&R Realty properties and is very popular with workers, Shepard said. The interior of the building will be converted from a single-tenant user to a multi-tenant building. ITA Group, now located in R&R Realty's Regency West Office Park, is relocating to Arcadia Building, leasing nearly 150,000 square feet. That's according to Brent Vanderwall, the company's CEO, and president. Adam Caducey, president of R&R Real Estate Investors, said, We have some other folks who are actively considering the building. We still have opportunities in the building for tenants that want or need 4,000 square feet of space or a full floor. Tenants will have a large range of amenities available. The Arcadia lobby is being redesigned to include a floor-to-ceiling video wall that will display waterfalls or other nature-related scenes. Also planned as an executive conference room that will be shared by the building's tenants, a multi-purpose room, fitness center, grab-and-go market, and Starbucks kiosk are also being added. The building's exterior has been restained and minor repairs made. Caduce said, we think these brand new contemporary finishes are ones that will help draw people back into the office. They're going to want to experience and utilize the space. Over the past couple of years, R&R Realty has been modernizing its office building as a way to retain tenants and attract new ones. 
The group earlier this year announced it was updating its Palisade building at 4900 University Avenue in West Des Moines. That building was restained in the interior, refreshed. Next column is uh, one written by Susan DeBaca of the uh, Business Record. And uh, talking about managing people for the first time, successful leaders offer advice. And here we go. When I was a recent college graduate, I got a job leading a nonprofit organization and started managing a team of employees and volunteers. I quickly made numerous rookie errors, one of which was hiring a friend. When I struggled to give her constructive feedback, she took it personally, affecting both her job performance and our relationship outside of work. If I could go back in time, I'd rethink that experience and many other leadership missteps. However, I can now see that we learn how to manage people by doing, making mistakes, watching others, asking for advice, course correcting, and practicing. Becoming a people leader for the first time can be a major career transition, simultaneously exciting and daunting. When you're managing people, you're responsible for not only your own success, but the stress, uh, but the success and productivity of others. For first-time managers, learning how to lead and manage can be a matter of trial and error, this can be intimidating and stressful. A recent survey summarized in the Harvard Business Review underscores how challenging people leadership can be for first-time managers. In that survey, 65% of respondents admitted to feeling uncertain or anxious about the role transition. A Business News Daily article on new people leaders echoes this sentiment, emphasizing that going from focusing on your own work to that of a team can often feel overwhelming. Regardless, learning to manage people is a critical skill for leaders and is a never-ending journey. With practice, you can be effective and even truly enjoy managing others. The Business News authors assert that leading your team, watching direct reports develop and flourish, and finding success can be extremely uh, rewarding. So one of the people the business record turned to and uh, asking about important considerations for first-time people leaders and advice they wish they'd known when they started managing people. And one of the people they interviewed was Jay Byers. He's the president of Simpson College in Indianola. Jay says, be authentic, be yourself, and leverage your strengths. Build a strong leadership team, know what you know, know what you don't know, and surround yourself with people who have expertise in areas that you lack. Create a bold vision for the future and inspire your team to achieve greatness. Empower your team to do their jobs and give them the tools they need to be successful. Coach and hold your team accountable for results. Create a culture of genuine appreciation to make sure your team knows they are valued. Over-communicate with your team and other constituencies. Commit yourself to lifelong learning and continuous improvement and lead by example. In his advice, business uh, author Patrick Lunacone describes ideal team players as humble, hungry, and smart. This is excellent advice to consider when hiring and evaluating team members. You are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Bu Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other Iris program, please give us a call at 515 243-6833, and now back to the business record. So we'll continue with the, um, we're talking about leaders, and these are uh, individuals that uh, the business record interviewed to give some advice to young leaders who are just starting in a leadership role. 
They had interviewed Jay Byers, as we mentioned before the uh, break, and now Lindsay Canaday, Vice President Business Development Director, Green State Credit Union. And she offers this advice. In my current position, I don't lead a team. I'm, I'm an individual contributor without direct reports. Nevertheless, I see myself as a culture leader within my company and industry, wielding internal and external influence. As a young black woman in this leadership role, fostering a culture shift is crucial. I challenge stereotypes, inspiring others to excel regardless of background. Actively shaping as an, an inclusive culture, I create an environment amplifying diverse voices, fostering innovation. My presence contributes to a more representative leadership landscape, breaking down barriers and setting an example of, for the future workforce. By championing inclusive collaboration, I enhance organizational dynamics, influence positive change in the broader professional community, impacting the trajectory of underrepresented individuals in leadership. Kennedy's advice, if I could share advice with my younger self when starting to lead, I'd emphasize the importance of embracing vulnerability. It's okay not to have all the answers. Admitting uncertainty fosters trust and authenticity within a team. I'd also stress the significance of effective communication, both listening and articulating ideas clearly. Building strong relationships is foundational, and investing time in understanding team members on a personal level is as crucial as understanding their professional strengths. Lastly, I'd encourage a mindset of continuous learning, being open to feedback, and recognizing that leadership is a journey of growth rather than a fixed destination. Next person the business record uh, interviewed for this leadership column was Amner Martinez. He's the founder and CEO of Infinite Resources. He said, hold people by the hand sometimes. You have to encourage them. People need a lot of nudges. You can't expect people to do something new the first time you ask. Make them believe the pitch just as you believe it. Do what you say you're going to do. His further advice is learn how to dust things off your shoulder. By that, I mean emotionally. My younger manager self could have been more humble. It's easy to make things about you, but it's not about you. And finally, uh, the uh, business record interviewed Amanda Young. She's the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Bankers Trust. And she says, people are more than what we initially see. What I wish I knew early on in managing people is that when you lead others, you must recognize they will create a series of impressions on you. First impressions should always be questioned before you act because they are often wrong. Being curious allows you to suspend judgment you really get to know someone. The more adamant I was about my opinion of someone, the more likely I was making some wrong conclusions. Decisions about people should take infinitely longer than those about a process, product, or strategy because of the complexity of the human spirit. And again, this was a column on leadership by Suzanne DeBracca of the Business Record, and she interviewed uh, four business leaders in the Des Moines area. The Business Record is now accepting nominations for uh, its 25th Annual 40 Under 40 Awards. Uh, nominations are due on January 12th of 2024. Candidates will be judged on both professional accomplishments and involvement with civic organizations. Nominees must be less than 40 years old as of March 28th, 2024 to be considered for recognition. And again, nominations must be received by Friday, January 12th at noon. Now, the information is needed for the nomination is, one, the nominee's name, 
current position, the company organization he or she works for, company phone number, company address, email address, their age, birth date is required, the college has attended and degrees earned, uh, members of their family, spouse and children, their business accomplishments such as job responsibilities, special projects, business-related affiliations, also, information about their civic leadership, board involvement in community, state, or national organizations, and any achievements, awards, and special recognitions. Need to know who nominated the person, uh, that person's company, title, and phone number. Again, that's nominations for the Business Records 25th Annual 40 Under 40 Awards. And continuing with the Business Record, this next uh uh, article is entitled Modern Living, Gen Z Redefines Multifamily Housing. Nathan Castile, um, AIA lead APBDC mixed-use leader of the principal DLR group, uh, wrote this article. The emergence of Generation Z in the housing market has sparked a transformative shift, compelling developers, owners, and designers to reimagine the typical living environment. Through DLR Group's brand promise, they seek to elevate the human experience through design. As we rethink the role of residential space for an evolving user, how can design be leveraged to craft environments that evoke relaxation, inspiration, locale, comfort, safety, and togetherness? First off is experiential living. Appealing to prospective residents means delivering an atmosphere people are drawn to. By tapping into hospitality design principles, generic spaces are transformed into experiences, creating lively and inviting environments that bring a buzz of excitement to all inhabitants. Each aspect of the design should be carefully curated to maintain holistic engagement, enticing people to explore the building's potential. From amenities and community spaces to artwork that creates an aesthetic focus on local charm. By infusing locality throughout the space and putting thoughtful design into the interiors, these design moments echo the city's aesthetic and capture what makes the community unique. These living spaces should evoke a homey feel with elevated details, providing residents with a reprieve from their outside lives in a comfortable, relaxing atmosphere. Amenities must resonate, serve a purpose, and generally appeal to residents. Amenities that once caught the eye of residents like gyms and outdoor dog spaces have become standard. Generation Z values community spaces and opportunities for social interactions within their living environment like recreation options, rooftop pools, co-working spaces, and music rooms. Amenities like this bring the benefits of urban living inside one's own residence and encourages a community-driven environment. When thoughtfully planned, these spaces flow naturally throughout the building, amplifying engagement through easy-to-navigate positioning. Locality does matter. Commuters prefer to be close to their primary destinations, many of which are dense urban cores. In urban cities, the metrics to make a viable project focus on maximizing unit counts. Land value and construction costs are at a premium, thus creating more units adds value, and these units tend to be smaller making amenity offerings and adaptive design more critical. Using a geographic information system and spatial analysis can also provide a deeper dive into understanding the demographic and design elements needed to maximize the value of the property. In turn, the older side of Generation C is now looking toward the long-term in building families. 
For many, this means they move to suburban areas. With remote work and the slow living lifestyle on the rise, locality can be the determining factor in choosing a residence. In such neighborhood, amenities are less valued than green spaces and proximity to necessities such as grocery stores and schools. New developments in central locations create walkable communities less reliant on cars, promoting healthy living. By working with the community and housing advocates, we aim to deliver environments, or aim to deliver living environments that fit within the context and become an amenity to the community. By providing public spaces, incorporating local art and artists and retail program to draw in the community, housing projects create an ecosystem in which all needs are within the grasp of its residents. And then this is, again, an article written by Nathan Castile. He's the principal with the DLR group in uh, Des Moines. Next article is on downtown Des Moines, poised to add more apartments. Developer says that young people want to be near the hub of activity. Kathy Bolton of the Business Record wrote this article. Multifamily developer Ryan Wade had an opportunity to buy property on the edge of Des Moines' downtown district just prior to the start of the pandemic. He backed away from the deal when the economy nosedived. Now Wade, an Iowa City-based developer, is preparing for the second phase of his High Street Lost Project at 16th and High Streets, which is north of Big Grove Brewery and Taproom. Construction is underway on the development's 47-unit first phase. Work on the 44-unit second phase is expected to begin in the summer. It's an up-and-coming area, Wade said, of the area between the Sherman Hill neighborhood and downtown's Western Gateway Park. It's on the edge of the downtown market. There hasn't been much built downtown in the past couple of years, and the vacancy rates have been low. The High Street Loft's second phase is among 11 apartment projects that have either been proposed or under construction in Des Moines Central Business District. If all the projects are developed, 1,778 units would be added to downtown in the next one to three years, increasing the area's multifamily residences by 27%. Currently, 6,507 apartment units are in the Central Business District in East Village, and that's data compiled by the CBRE group. Multifamily development activity is not limited to downtown. It is occurring throughout much of the greater Des Moines area. Just over 2,830 apartment units are under construction in the metro, with nearly 1,100 of the units being built in Waukee. The flurry of activity comes after a slowdown, primarily caused by the pandemic's impact. Between 2016 and 2019, an average of 2,300 new apartment units per year were delivered to the market, said Zach Shekel, a CBR broker who specializes in multifamily. A total of 3,000 new units have been delivered since 2020. Neither of those levels are what we call stabilized. They were either very high or very low, Shekel said, in 2024, construction of an estimated 1,500 apartment units is expected to be completed. I think we'll see a lot more stable levels of new supply over the next two to three years. A large amount of the metro area's new multifamily units is expected to be developed in Des Moines' central business district. The increased activity follows a decline in downtown multifamily development activity. In 2022, downtown recorded no new deliveries of apartment units, the first time that has occurred since 2012. This year, two projects with a total of 246 units have been completed. Hubble Realty Company's five-story level multifamily project 
on Maple Street and Sherman Associates' four-story slate at Gray's Landing on 11th Street Southwest. And that slate is aimed at active older adults. Among the multifamily projects expected to begin in 2024 is the conversion of office space into 200 apartment units at 2 Ruan Center, located on Locust Street. Cody Christensen, Des Moines Director of Development Services, said he expects more downtown office space converted to residences. He added, with the number of vacant office buildings we have downtown, we're, with the number of vacant office buildings we have downtown, we're going to see more of those buildings be turned into apartments. We still have a demand for apartments downtown. Central business districts tend to attract young professionals who want to live near their workplace and by people with similar backgrounds, Wade said. They want to be in the hub of weekly activities that occur downtown and near the restaurants and bars. They want to be around like-minded people with opportunities to network. Downtowns are a great environment for that. Between 2010 and 2020, the number of people living downtown grew over 80% to 8,371 from 4,497 back in 2010, according to U.S. Census data. In the preceding decade, just 397 people were added to downtown's population. Part of that growth has been fueled by the increase in multifamily units downtown, since 2004, at least 23 downtown Des Moines properties have been converted to multifamily housing, adding 1,600 apartments to the area. Many of the new units have been added since 2015. Even with the addition of units, downtown's multifamily vacancy rate is 4.9% according to a recent CBRE market report. The absorption of new units has impressed Andrew Juris, president of Chicago-based Double Eagle Development. That was a really good proving point on where the city could handle a lot of supply at once, said Juris, whose company has proposed a 202-unit, seven-level apartment project valued at $62 million on Mulberry Street. Double, Eag uh, Double Eagle's development parent company, St. Louis, Missouri-based Bulky Brown Transwestern, acquired Flex Apartments and Onyx Office Suites located on Walnut Street, and they acquired that in January 2022. A seven-level, 202-unit apartment project called Falcon is just south of Flux Apartments. Des Moines Central Business District is poised for additional growth, Juris said. We love the economic drivers of Des Moines. When we look at Midwest markets, we're going to focus on the ones with the best growth history and projections. Des Moines falls into that category. Over the past year, interest rates for commercial loans have more than doubled from the mid 3% range to the 7% range and higher. Many lenders are now requiring more equity from borrowers, reducing potential on investments. Putting together a financial package for the second phase of high street loss has been more difficult than the first phase, Wade said. You have to be more creative and you have to put more money into the project. The project received a boost in August when the Iowa Economic Development Authority announced that it would receive $982,027 in workforce housing tax credits and sales tax refund. Wade said if the project hadn't received the tax credits, he likely would have waited until interest rates were lower to start the project. The city of Des Moines also helped fill the financial gap by extending assistance to a tax increment financing for three years. The project is proposed to receive up to $2.2 million in financial assistance over 20 years. 
The project's first phase received financial assistance of up to $940,000 over 18 years. The cost of developing a multifamily project are about 40% higher than they were prior to the pandemic, according to Matt Weller, Director of Development at Hubble Real Hunter Realty Company in West Des Moines. Many projects are taking longer to complete because builders are waiting on supplies as well as availability of subcontractors. Higher rental rates need to be charged to pay for those higher costs, Weller said. That's part of why we're seeing increased average rental rates across the market over the past couple of years. In the first half of 2023, the average monthly rental rate was $1,109. A year ago, rental rates averaged $1,006 a month. Low vacancies have also contributed to an increase in rental rates, Weller said. A year ago, the Metro's average vacancy rate was 5.86%. It's now at 4.82%. Weller said that downtown one-bedroom units have been flying off the shelf. For young professional, costs aren't as much of an obstacle. They want the newest and best thing. Level, Hubble's project south of Interstate 235 and east of the Des Moines River, opened in August, and over 60% of its 114 units are leased. The velocity there is something we haven't seen in years, he said. No new products were delivered downtown last year, so right now we're the only game in town. So let's now take a look at some of the projects. I've just mentioned the article, a little closer look at where they're located and a little description, number of units, and so on. First one is the project name is uh, High Street Lofts 2. That's located at 1619 High Street. Its estimated project value is $11,170,000. It's a four-level structure that includes 31 partially underground parking stalls. The number of units are 44. Uh, the project status as of today, it's been proposed. It has received final design approval from Urban Design Review Board. It's expected to be completed in late 2025. The builder developers Wade Investments of Coralville and the architect is Streamline Architects and Artisans, and they are based in East Moline, Illinois. Another project is uh, High Street Lofts 1. That's also located at 1610 High Street. Its uh, value is $10.5 million. It's a four-level structure. also includes some underground parking stalls. 47 units. It's currently under construction. It's expected to be completed next year in 2024. Again, Wade Investments is developer, and Streamline Architects is also the architect for this project. Next project, the Falcon, located on Mulberry Street. It's a $62 million project, seven stories, proposed on a 1.3-acre site. Previously, was occupied the Des Moines Area Religious Council's food pantry. 202 units. The status of the project, it's now under review by city staff. It's expected to be completed in the spring of 2026. Double Eagle Development of Chicago is the developer. And Ask Studio is the project or is the architect and designer. Next one is the Deckel. That's on Mulberry Street. It's a $17 million project, five stories, mixed-use structure with underground parking and 10,000 square feet of commercial space, 82 units in that project. It's uh, proposed. It's under review now by city staff. Uh, expected completion date at this point is unknown. Greenacre Development, Sioux Falls, South Dakota's developer, and Shemmer is the architect, and Shemmer is located in Omaha. 
the two Ruan Center, located on 601 Locust Street. Uh, the value of that project is not known. It's a conversion of a 14-story office building into market-rate apartments. It's expected to have 200 units. It's uh, been proposed, but that's all at this point. Expected completion is also unknown. Block Real Estate Services of Kansas City and Ruan are the builder and developers, and Folch Brothers of Parkville, Missouri, is the architect. Um, another project, the name is not known, but it's going to be built at 515 Walnut Street. It's expected to be a $140 million project, 33-story residential tower. that include a mix of market rate and affordable price units. Uh, the project would be built on the former Kaleidoscope at the Hub, 390 units. It's been proposed. Uh, expected completion is not known. St. Joseph Group is the builder developer. They're based in Des Moines, and Newman Monson is the architects. Meridian at Gray's Landing, that's located on Southwest 11th Street. That's a $39 million project. Five-story structure, include a swimming pool and a dog park, as well as 82 underground parking spots and 78 surface parking spaces. 169 units. It's uh, currently under construction. It's expected to be completed next year. Sherman Associates is the builder, and Simonson Associates, Associates is the architect. Union at River's Edge is located at 214 Jackson Avenue. It's a $56 million project. It'll include two buildings, six-story buildings, 192 apartment units, and three-story building with 24 apartment units. Uh, it's been proposed. It's expected to be completed in late 2025. The Annex Group of Indianapolis is the developer, and Ask Studio is the architect. Another project, uh, name not known yet, but it's going to be built at 418 East Grand Avenue. It's an $18 million project, five-story mixed-use building with street-level retail. Number of units are 132. The building permit has been issued. Expected completion is not known. Nelson Construction Development of Des Moines is the builder, and BNIM Des Moines, the architect. Another project located on 603 East 6th Street, that's called the Aston. It's valued at uh, $44 million, seven- and eight-story C-shaped apartment building proposed where the American College of Hairstyling had been located. 186 units. Uh, the status of this project has been proposed. It's received final design approval from the Urban Design Review Board. Expected to be done in late 2025. Heart of America Group is both the builder and the architect. And finally, the project name is The Temple. It's uh, located at 317 East 6th Street. It's a $22 million project, a seven-story building with street-level retail. 110 units is currently under construction, expect to be completed next year. And again, Heart of America Group is both the builder and developer for that particular project. And continuing uh, Kathy Bolton's article on uh, apartment building in central Iowa, uh, she finishes up this series with an article about Waukee. In the greater Des Moines area, 2,831 apartment units are either under construction or have been recently completed, according to a recent CBRE Group multifamily market report. Over a third of the units, 1,096, are being built in Waukee, which in 2020 was named Iowa's fastest-growing city. In 2015, the Dallas County community's estimated population was 17,706, according to U.S. Census data. 
the community's population is now estimated at 24,089, and that's a 36% increase since 2015. That growth has fueled residential construction, including apartments and rental townhomes. The pace of multifamily development will likely slow to allow for the absorption of new units, said Brad Dietz, Waukee City Administrator. Dietz said, Multifamily development is very cyclical. We may get a slew of approvals in a short period of time, but then it will tail off for a while to allow for the construction and lease up of the new units. Much of Waukee's multifamily construction is occurring in the northwest part of the city and along Grand Prairie Parkway near Vibrant Music Hall, an event center that recently opened. Matt Weller, Hubble Realty Company's Director of Development, said, Waukee has done a really good job of investing in things that make the community attractive for families, bike trails, parks, and schools. Those are all things we look at when we look at developing a multifamily. What are the amenities that are in close proximity to a project and how can we capitalize on them? Waukee is very favorable in that regard. One of the projects that Hubble has underway in Waukee is converged northwest south of Waukee's Northwest High School and Triumph Park. The project's $41 million first phase includes the construction of 180 apartment units spread over two buildings in 33 townhomes. Construction of the apartment buildings is expected to be completed during the first half of 2024, Weller said. There's a lot of units coming online in Waukee in 2024. I think all of the different developers have a different niche in the market, but there's going to be a lot of units and a lot of competition to attract those renters. And a couple of events coming up on Friday, December 8th, Boys and Girls Clubs, the Central Iowa Club Talent Show. The host will be at the Historic East Village. A little bit about the show, it's the um, talent show brings an evening of fun with club kids, including games, crafts, food, and talent performances. Esteemed community mentors partnered with each talent are sure to create an unforgettable show. All proceeds from this fundraising event directly support club kids and teens in our community. And again, that'll be 5.30 to 8 o'clock at the Des Moines Scottish Rite Temple on Friday, December 8th. And another event coming up is Celebrate Iowa Gala. The host of that is the State Historical Society of Iowa. This is the 12th annual celebration of Iowa's history, humanities, and culture. The event will feature Iowa cuisine, music entertainment, and, of course, Iowans. It'll be from 7 to 11 o'clock on Friday night. And again, that'll be at the newly remodeled State Historical Building in Des Moines. And finally, the Des Moines Public Library business book pick for this week is The Coming Wave, Technology, Power, and 21st Century's Greatest Dilemma. Mustafa Suleiman is the author and why you should read it. Uh, The author is the co-founder of DeepMind, a pioneer in artificial intelligence. His 2023 book works as a warning of the risk and explanation of the possibilities of this unprecedented technology offers to business and global order. The coming decades, Suleiman argues, will be defined by this wave of powerful new technologies. And again, that's the Des Moines Public Library business book pick. It's an ongoing feature that staff members of the Des Moines Public Library will recommend a business-related book to add to your reading list. And you can find this and more books like it at any of the Des Moines Public Library's six locations and online at the Des Moines Public Library website. And you can find information on how to get a free library card and all its benefits 
at that website. And that uh, concludes a reading of the business record for this week, December 8th, uh, 2023 edition, Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with Iris. It's been a pleasure to read for you. 